We've all imagined them, or maybe even seen them on TV or in a movie. Epic conquests that test your outermost limits and change what you believe is possible. Maybe it's crossing an Ironman finish line or finishing 100 miles through the Rocky Mountains. But with work and family and bills, those often seem out of reach for the average guy. Or maybe they're just reserved for the lucky ones who train for a living or have less on their plates. Well, we're just not willing to accept that. Yes, we have jobs and wives and kids, and we certainly aren't pro athletes. We're just average dudes, rejecting an average life. This is the 3OK Runners Podcast. Welcome back to the 3OK Runners Podcast. This is episode number 22, and we thought we would take a deeper dive into the Leadville course. Um, kind of go through some of our recorded videos about every four miles and see if we had anything to add. So Brother Jared and Chief are joining me and I'm excited to kind of relive that weekend experience and let's get this course into our mind. So let's kick it off. First four miles. All right, what's up guys? We just finished the first uh, four mile stretch of the Leadville course. Uh, it is generally on kind of a dirt road that's that's some loose gravel parts but a lot of just kind of crushed sand um, pretty gentle terrain uh, most of it pretty flat or a little bit downhill uh, there were two short little hills that we thought were walker hills yeah um, but they're really short it would be 30 seconds walking probably and then get to run again on some flat and downhills those two walker hills was at the beginning and at 2.5 and after about three miles in, it got pretty bold. There's quite a bit of bigger rocks going downhill for a short period. So like a light road shoe, I would probably rule out for the initial part so far. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we had talked about maybe doing some road shoes uh, for comfort for longer miles. Um, I would say so far up to the up to the first blacktop you get to, which is at a little bit over mile four, I think uh, trail shoes are definitely the way to go. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Beautiful terrain, running down the dirt road, running towards the snow-capped mountains. Um, shouldn't be at all windy. We'll deal with whatever weather is that day. Yeah. I can't see it being a whole lot of anything. I'm sweating pretty good right now, and it's nice and cool here. Yeah. There's only that one section. It's probably a mile long that's got a lot of loose, bigger, bolder rocks. Yeah, downhill. Um, and it'll be dark when you're in this section. So that'll be a time to really pay attention with your headlamp. But other than that, you can kind of just settle in at a real easy. We were running about a 10:30 pace, and it felt really, really easy and slow. Yeah, really holding back on it, uh, and, it and it was nice and comfortable. Right now we're on blacktop for the next one point from mile four to mile 5.5. And then we're going to turn on a turquoise lake and then catch Beth at the first stop of May Queen. All right, we'll check in in a bit. Yeah, so this is coming out of um, Leadville and uh, first getting on the on the trail, really. So coming out of Leadville, you're on Blacktop for just a little bit. Um, go up actually a, a decent little hill uh, right there in the beginning. So. Um, you know, it'll, it'll get you a little bit and you go, uh Oh, is this what altitude's going to do to me, uh, for the whole race? Um, but no, there's a, there's a short little hill, um, just coming out of the town and then you hop on the trail for the first time and, um, and really start downhill and, uh, and, and continue on a nice little sort of dirt 
slash gravel road um, downhill for about the next four miles. Yeah, it was uh, surprisingly uh, just a big, wide dirt road, really well-groomed, not any washboards, anything like that. Um, we were just talking. I think the most significant thing that really of any mention is those two climbs, as we mentioned in the recording, on on site. And like Jared said, I, I think that first one's even a little bit of walk, like a power hiker. Like, there's no reason to get ahead of yourself. You're like <laughs> 0.2 miles into the race. You've got a long <laughs> way to go. Just enjoy it. Walk it out a little bit. And there's another little slight incline. Um, but you get down by the railroad tracks. It was fairly washed out when we were there. Um, you'll run along there, I think, for maybe half a mile or so. And that was in the dark, headlamps. It'd be kind of treacherous. There's quite a bit of holes and stuff and potholes and whatever. And um, in that section and right before that section was quite a bit of bigger rocks and boulders and stuff. That's probably the only thing I can remember off the top of my head of mention about that section. Yeah, I think, you know, running it in the dark uh, will make a little bit of difference because, you know, we, we ran it in the bright sunshine and that first, you know, little mountain pass that we did, you know, two blocks into the run. Um, I think that is the classic Leadville race start view that you get from all the drones. And so it it is a little bit uphill, but then it's downhill. And, you know, we passed that uh, sports field that had the beautiful backdrop of... Yeah. The mountains in the back. Uh, I don't know if it was like a football or soccer field, and then you're you're onto the dirt road at that point, and that was that was pleasant running, and I think that was shielded by any kind of potential weather or wind that would show up, um, and I believe there'll be you know 800 headlamps, so you ought to be able to <laughs> see just fine. Um, and the only the only part that I thought was a little bit concerning was that downhill which we seemed to hit and we were running, but we weren't running that fast. But when we got on that terrain, I thought, oh gosh, this might be like a slow it down, don't fall over these kind of you know rocks for me. And we had to go back and forth because one side was washed out more than the other before you get to the bottom back to running. So I think I'll try to remember that place as like just, hey, let's pay attention here right out of the gate. And this is Chief here. Uh, I did mention at the end, the next mile or so was pavement. It looked like what the watch was taking us, but it wasn't. So we'll talk about in the next four miles. But I don't want to be deceptive here. And you guys thinking there's a bunch of pavement coming up, and there wasn't. As soon as you turn onto the pavement, you took a left onto there, uh, right out of the railroad tracks, and it was a right, right by Sugarloafing RV Park in, on a dirt road. So let's go ahead and play the uh, next well, section. Hang on. So it, oh. one of the things that people always talk about <clears throat> in the beginning of this race is paying attention to your pace. Um, the... The section that you start this course on would be very easy to come out way too hot. Um, we were we were running slow miles, um, but not even as slow as they felt, right? I mean, it, I, I felt like we were just really, really easy, barely moving, um, and we were running about 10 and a half minute miles. You see a lot of a lot of race guides saying, you know, settle into 11 minute pace, maybe you know maybe 10, 10, 30. Um, I think if you're not paying attention to your pacing at the beginning of this race, you could come out too hot very easily because they're, they're really easy miles. And another thing to be uh, aware of on that too, you can get swept into a faster pack. And when you hit the single tracks around Turquoise Lake, it's not going to be a lot of fun because there's not a lot of place to get around and people to go around you. You could really mess your race up if you're sitting there running way too fast and you're stopping letting people by trying to jump back in in and out of pace and so good point um also though do you guys think 
these first 12 miles to May Queen is the time to get some better, faster miles in, kind of get ahead of that cutoff just a little bit. Not too fast. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on it depends on your race strategy and, and how you plan on finishing this race, right? I mean, I know for, for me, Chief, I think that, yes, that is true. These first 12 miles to May Queen are miles that I want to do at a decent pace, right? I mean, I, I would... I would very much like to be a, a ten and a half, or maybe even a little bit less than that um, yeah. average, um, because I know that the cutoff times are um, part of the concern for me, um, and this is a, a place where I feel like I can take advantage of of some easier, faster miles. Um, but you know, I mean, I I think that sort of depends on how how close people are going to be to cutoffs. And just general statements here, because we're kind of opening this podcast, there's two things that I picked up from our training run. One, I think it's a race to 60 miles up and over back to Twin Lakes before the sun goes down. I think if you can do that, you're going to be in a really good place. And then uh, two would be trying to, and as Jared was saying with the cutoff times, I think if this race had a little bit longer cutoff time, maybe 40 hours or so, it wouldn't be as difficult. But the cutoff times are just so tight, the whole race, that any time you can take advantage and get ahead of that cutoff time, you're going to be in a lot better position. But do you guys have anything else to mention about the first four? No, no, I don't think so. Okay, so let's go ahead and roll into uh, the next four miles. Hey, guys. uh, Eight-mile check-in. We are... On, I think we're on the north side of Turquoise Lake now. Um, looks like we probably run about halfway around it. Um, so for the last four miles, uh, the really only noteworthy thing probably is a is a pretty significant climb, the first real climb, which happened just after the five mile mark. Um, it's pretty short, but it's a it's a steep uphill climb for probably about I don't know maybe point two maybe quarter of a mile. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, other than that, um, that takes you over onto the Turquoise Lake Trail, um, and the trail is what I would consider a pretty standard trail, even for what we run back in Oklahoma. Um, you know, some rocks, some roots, uh, but pretty much just gentle up and downs, weaving in and out of trees. Uh, and so it's been a pretty, a, a very runnable course, I'd say, so far. So far, feel good. Uh Breath-wise and like uh, wind-wise, not as much of an issue. Heart rate's a little higher than normal, but uh, we're just running around the lake. With the lake will be on your left, going outbound, and then we're about four miles out from uh, May Queen right now. So, um, other than that, just nice rollers around the lake. Any lake you have around you, it'd be pretty similar to that, I'm sure. Yeah, the other interesting part is we were talking about sweat rates, and compared to what we are sweating at home in the heat and humidity. How you doing? Seems like we are still sweating here, although not as much, but maybe it's going unnoticed. So we will try to figure that out as the day goes on. All right, we'll check in. All right, the second four miles and my most memorable part of the second four miles is that little bitty climb that uh, was unknown to me before we got there. And I almost thought, man, did we make a wrong turn? because we were deciding at the bottom of that thing, which way is the map going, which which way, and there was a, a straight, flat way that looked like we where we were going, and then we turned and went up this Jeep road, it looked like, but I thought, oh my gosh, if this is what the climbing on this course is gonna look like, this is a little 
more difficult than I gave it credit for. Yeah, and then I was kind of alarmed for the fact that nobody was talking about this little <laughs> mini climb that for us Oklahomans was like a mountain <laughs> at that point, right? And uh, yeah, just that really it was just that little climb. Take it easy. It's pretty darn steep, and um, you know, you're going to see a little bit steeper trails like that later down on the course too. So kind of get mentally prepared for that as you see that. The only other thing that I um, primarily single track. As soon as you come out of that climb, you're going to take a little left on some pavement and ride into Turquoise Lake, and you're going to be pretty much single track all the way to the aid station. So don't get swept into a faster group because you're not going to have any fun. You're going to be running too fast. You're going to be a little bit uh, concerned about that. And I think about mile seven, six, seven, there was like a boat ramp, and there was a bathroom there that was provided by the lake, one of those kind of just standard outside bathrooms. But Jared made mention, he's like, <clears throat> probably going to be quite a busy bathroom at that point in the race. And it will be, but if you've got, you know, any sort of like stomach issues right out of the gate, that'd be your first place to be able to maybe hit the bathroom if you needed to. Yeah, I wonder if uh, if at the Sugarloaf and RV um, place too, you could you could hit a bathroom there. Oh, good point, yeah. Because um, you do run right by that at about mile four and a half, five. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, uh, so this is the first, um, climb of any significance, really. If you haven't walked one of the, one of the uphills yet, this will probably be the first one you do. Um, doesn't last very long. Um, it basically is just moving you over from one, one trail or one road to another road to get on that turquoise lake trail. Um, that, that reminded me listening to, um, our clip, the, the trail around turquoise lake, um, seems sort of never ending. We, we didn't know it at this point, um, but man, you really run around that lake for a long, long time, um, and it's it's all single track, and for the most part, it's it's a pretty nice, gentle trail um, that I think you'll really be able to, to settle in. Still, at this point, um, I think easy to put down some decent miles um, on, on your timing, so if you're concerned about cutoffs, I think for the first several miles around um, Turquoise Lake, I still think it's pretty simple to be right in that you know 10 sub 11 pace without putting out too much effort um, at all. I know it's I know it's kind of all relative for us, but um, that seems like a good place to to bank some time if you need to do that if you're worried about cutoffs. And it's so mellow. I'm gonna try to eat as much as I can while we're running because I tend to have stomach issues later on anyway, and so. If I can bank calories and get ahead of the cutoff, this is kind of a win-win at the moment for me. Yeah, this is the section where you're, you know, you're an hour in now and hopefully settling in and kind of, you know, checking your progress. Where am I at? How am I feeling? You know, this is a, this is a place where you can eat and drink a little bit while you're moving pretty good. And I think it'll also be the very first gauge of kind of, okay, you know, start, here's one hour down, you know, don't think about 29 to go, but how am I feeling at this point getting ready to, you know, transition to the first aid station? Yeah, I think this is also when we first started noticing um, how much I was sweating, right? I mean, Chief, you made a comment to me of like, you should pay attention because you you have a lot of salt on you, right? And, and like you said, Jeff, um, I, I, because it's so dry there, you don't, you know, like if you're coming from where we're coming from, where it's hot and humid, 
you know, you're absolutely soaked from two minutes into a run throughout the remainder of the run. And so it's easier to pay attention to how much fluid you're losing um, out there with as dry as it is. It's, you're not soaked, um, but you're still sweating and still losing, if, you know, for me, a ton of salt. Um, and so don't, don't forget about that. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't feel like you're sweating, like you do at home, uh, you probably are. And so, you know, this is, this is not a good time to get behind on any kind of salt electrolyte fluid stuff. Yeah. I had noticed I was deceptively thirsty. I didn't realize how much I was drinking, right? I just kind of plugging into the bladder, plugging away a little bit here out of my bottles. And I remember when we got about mile eight or nine, I look at my bladder, I'm like, holy cow, like, I don't got a whole lot of water left in this thing. That's a great point, Chief. Um, I was sort of thinking, you know, start to May Queen is what, 12 and a half miles, I think. Mm -hmm. I would normally very comfortably do that 12 and a half miles with just my two front bottles, not even necessarily tapping into the bladder on the back. When we were in Leadville, I finished those two bottles and finished, you know, most of the bladder. And so you're right. I was taking in a bunch more fluids than I was used to. Um, and part of that was I was intentionally doing that, but you're going to be doing that for the race. And so um, for me, for sure, I'm fully stocked pack at the beginning of this race because I think I'm going through bladder and both bottles on my chest by the time I get to May Queen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so have your crew prepared for a full refill on everything as soon as you get to May Queen. I don't think that's going to be too much to ask at that point. You guys have anything else to add? Okay. No, I think still, still, I would say super runnable. There's other than that one climb, you're running the all of these miles. You know, I mean, there's not even um, any uphills around the beginning of the Turquoise Lake Trail that you're going to walk. Um, and so this is probably the best you're going to feel the whole race, right? I mean, you're an hour in, you're settled in, um, your body feels great, hopefully. and uh... Hopefully, because <laughs> even in more of a side note, we met that old, la that older lady uh, at Sugar, or not Sugar, yeah, top of Sugarloaf. Is that Sugar? Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, she said she had stomach issues from mile one. Yeah. And she got pulled off the course at mile 87, and she was running up Sugarloaf Hill or whatever that was called, and we're like, oh, boy. Like, these, these Colorado mountain people are way tougher than we are. <laughs> it's like, man, she, Jared said, if she got pulled off the course, what are we going to do? And she was running uphill at that point, like 20 miles into her run. I yeah. Was like, oh, my gosh. For sure. All right, let's go ahead and get in the next four. All right, guys. Uh, we are leaving the May Queen aid station, the first aid station of the course. Um, just got some lunch and restocked our packs. Uh, so the last four miles prior to getting to the first aid station, uh, the trail around Turquoise Lake, is probably, it's a little rougher, a little more technical, some more up and downs um, than it is in the first part. Um, and so kind of overall in that first stretch, I would say probably the first eight miles or so are quite a bit easier um, to maintain a pretty good pace. The last four miles or so get a little bit more technical, a little bit more up and down and more walking. What do you think, Chief? I agree that as soon as we got off the last recording and took off, it seemed like <laughs> the trail completely changed on us. And it went it went really technical, a lot more jagged rocks. So road shoes, again, would be out of question on that little route. Um, we coming into May Queen, my 1.5 bladder was empty. 
and one one 500 milliliter bottle was empty and half of the other one was. So water-wise, it is not a very hot day. It's nice out, and we are really putting some water down. So the hotter, the worse it's going to get. So kind of account for that when you're... Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought I overpacked my pack uh, just to be safe. And then about two miles from the aid station, I was getting a little bit nervous that if we didn't come to the aid station pretty quick, we were going to, luckily we came across a nice mountain stream and uh, refilled one of my bottles. So, all right, Jeff, you doing all right? I'm doing great. Um, pretty happy with the first part of it. Uh, I kept my watch running the whole time we started. So we had a couple of stops in there to fix a hydration bladder and then to take some pictures and to hit that mountain stream. And even doing that, we came in well under what would be the initial cutoff. Well, 45 for, minutes, right? Right. For this. Yeah, 45 station. minutes under the cutoff with no, with, and, and not pushing at all, not no, no, really I, holding back. I feel so, like the pace that we did would be very manageable and just not much concern for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It couldn't have been about as easy as pace as we could have ran. All right. This section's got a few more climbs, so uh, we'll knock out a few miles and check back in. All right, so this section uh, coming into the first aid station at May Queen, um, the the one thing that really stuck out is the the trail changed a little bit um, on us from the from the first part coming around Turquoise Lake. So um, when once you get up to, I think that's the north end of the lake. I I feel like you're sort of on the north side of the lake, headed west into May Queen Aid Station. Um, the trail gets rockier, more technical. Um, it gets more up and down. Uh, there's a few, there's a few parts in there where you hike up some hills and start running down hills and flats. Um, I think if you're not trying to overexert yourself, which is, which is probably a good idea given that you're 10 miles into the race. Um, but that was the, you know, I think you get, you get a little bit deceived for the first eight or eight or nine miles because it's such easy running and you're and you're really on your pace without too much effort. Um, and then that last little section getting into May Queen gets a little bit tough. Um, and so you know, kind of keep in mind that you've got that section coming up, but but the aid station's right after. Yeah, the probably the only thing I can really take away from that was like what you were saying, just kind of rougher rollers up and down a little bit. You're going to kind of go around some trees. It's going to be a little bit more technical running, especially kind of dark out with your headlamp. So you're not really you're not really on a super super easy uh, single track at that point. Um, there was a bathroom right before the aid station. Um, as you're coming into it, you're kind of kind of hit like a little bit of a parking area. Uh, where some picnic tables and the, there'll be a stream to your left. There's a bathroom right there again. And I remember we crossed that bridge <clears throat> and I knew we we're getting kind of close at that point. So as soon as you kind of start crossing some bridges and some streams, as mentioned in the podcast with the water, you're getting closer to that aid station. So kind of start mentally preparing for what you're wanting and that kind of thing. And uh, my wife and I, we brought walkie talkies just to kind of test it out. And we were starting to pick each other up about a mile and a half out so it's good if everybody had a walkie-talkie it wouldn't work but if you bring one and you're on a different channel it may work for you i know it really we had a ton of good uh luck with that walkie-talkie thing it was nice to have her and be able to start thinking about what i wanted coming to the aid station yeah i think um the takeaway for me on this last part going into that first aid station is 
you know, I think it'll still be dark, maybe a little bit of light, but you'll be using a headlamp and it's been, you know, not such concerning, um, trail material and foot placing and all that until now. And I think, you know, just paying attention as you're approaching that aid station, you know, your pace is going to change a little bit. Your footing is going to become a little bit more important. This for me is going to be the first kind of place where I want to stay mentally engaged before that aid station so that I can get through this part without, you know, kind of misstepping or, or tripping or twisting an ankle or something like that. Uh, because we're really early in this race and this is the first kind of technical terrain that we have encountered. Have you guys given much thought about how much time you want to spend in this aid station? Not much. I want to be in and out. I want to be in and out too. I, I, I told Beth, I really want my bottles ready. I want about a minute, minute and a half in this aid station. I just want to keep going. Um, it's early in the race. We've got a couple big sections coming up. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this aid station. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think importantly, um, right out of this aid station, you're getting into that first real significant climb. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of walking time where you can you can eat you can drink out of the aid station. Yeah, take and it with so, you out yeah. and eat at walking up that little that little section before you get on the Colorado Trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great advice. Yeah. the The other thing is this last part right before the aid station, your your pace is probably going to slow down because the trail gets a little tougher. Um, and so I think um, you know if if you're out there and all you're paying attention to is your pace, um, be careful because you're going to exert a little more coming into the aid station um, than you have been in kind of the previous eight or nine miles. Um, and so my, my thought is my pace is going to slow down and that's okay because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have a big ramp up right before the first aid station, particularly because coming out of the, coming out of the aid station, you're getting into the first kind of what I would consider pretty tough area. If the aid station's where we thought it was, it's going to be about a, a really seems going to be like a brutally long, about 0.5 mile run, kind of slightly uphill on that paved road. You remember coming out where we had met Beth? I, I think the aid station's up there on the left. And so you're going to be like, holy, you know, like how long is this run? So be prepared for that too. It's going to be just a slightly, not crazy uphill or anything, but it's just a slight uphill run where it's just going to be more annoying than anything, I would think. You guys have anything else? Yeah, but that might be a good time to make sure you're emptying out the bottles that you're on, right? Drink those. You can walk into that aid station and make sure that you've finished off the bottles you plan to finish off in the first section um, and and have them ready to get refilled. Yeah, and you're not killing it going into that aid station so that you can prepare to eat. And that may be more important for the next section is getting some calories in, making sure your hydration is where you want it because you're about to go into an area where it's important. Yeah. yeah, I actually think Jeff that last part, um, if if June is indicative at all about when the sun comes up in Leadville, um, that last part heading into the aid station is going to be pretty light. Um, like headlamp light, or yeah, I mean for us at least, I mean we're planning on coming into that first aid station somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half hours. Um, yeah you know, race starts at four o'clock by 6 a.m. It was easily light um, when we were there in June. So I assume it's going to be similar to that in August. Yeah, the days, the days were a lot longer than I expected. Yeah, I, they were. 
I expected being in the, as high in the mountains as that. I thought, man, the days are going to be short. You know, the sun will come behind the mountains. But it was. The sun came. I remember being in our, be- in our room at like 530 with the birds out. Like, what is going on in this place? Oh, listen, mountain time zone is uh, my ultimate place to live one day. Yeah. It's yep. Long days. Long days. All right, guys. Anything else to add? Nope. Okay, let's get to the next four. All right. Uh, check in. About a little shy of mile 18, uh, we just finished the climb out of the May Queen aid station up on top of Sugarloaf Pass. Um, it's about five miles, and it is five miles of just straight climbing. Uh, there are basically no sections in there um, that you run or that you can run. There's a few on the Colorado Trail that maybe last 10 or 15 seconds and then you're climbing again. So um, just an absolutely relentless climb um, all the way to the top. Um, and now we're on the other side and fixing to go down the backside of Powerline. The climb up for that five miles out of May Queen, anything under 20 minutes is a pretty strong pace. It's really that, that much up and they don't talk about that enough in a lot of stuff that we've been reading. Ain't nobody mentioned nothing about much how killer that climb was. So we're telling you now, respect this race. This race is legit. Yeah, and respect that climb. I mean, it is a it lasts a long time. You're you're climbing for miles and miles. And so, I mean, what I I can't remember what time we left the May Queen Aid Station, but it's been a couple hours of straight climbing. Uh, so. An hour and 58 minutes to do that climb, and, and we were moving. We were at a good pace. I don't think we were ever over 20 minutes for a mile. Um, so it's uh, it's a real climb for sure. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, that was a lot of climbing, and I feel like we didn't know much about it, so it makes me question what climbing is. No doubt, our right? Way. But I'm I'm happy to be at the top. I'm happy to be listening to the power line snapping because that means we are headed into the next aid station downhill. Hey, one thing that we have noticed, uh, we, we packed our packs full, uh, two, two bottles on the chest and the reservoir in the back. I've got a two-liter reservoir. Chief, I know you got a, a liter and a half, but we're going through them. Um, I've filled up several bottles out of these running streams up here. Uh, so that is one thing to, to think of. I, I'm going through a lot more fluids than I expected I would be. Um, and that's a that's a concern right now I have. I think that's a concern for sure because I'm going through three liters every time and refilling on the course before the next aid station. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're gonna hit this uh, downhill into the next aid station, which is what outward bound. Yes. And we'll check in there. Hopefully, what they say is true, and this is five miles of downhill running because uh, we could use it about now. <laughs> All right, later, guys. Okay, so we were not kidding around. Uh, coming out of that May Queen, you're going to be running into your first significant climb and that I don't know that enough people are talking about. Um, you're going to have two really big climbs on this course for the first 50. It's going to be this one, and it's going to be obviously Hope. And what there was a little bit of switchbacks, uh, but it was five miles. I mean, Colorado Trail was very rugged. Coming out of the Colorado Trail, you hit the Hagerman, Hagerman Road, I believe is what they call and then you're kind of switchbacky all the way up Sugarloaf at that point. If I remember, we're kind of turning, climbing, turning, climbing. Uh, great views. You're going to look back. You're going to see uh, Turquoise Lake just where you came from. Um, but the only other thing is 
one, decent climbing, and two, once you, you look like you're getting ready to cross under the power line, you're like, oh, we're at the top, and then you turn, and you start going up switchbacks, and then once you actually go under the power line, you've basically reached the top of that, and you're kind of cresting it and coming down on the backside. Yeah, that's right. The The first part of it is on the Colorado Trail, so single track, um, really rocky, yeah. um, and, and really rugged trail um, that you're you're hiking. And a lot of times, you know, stepping up onto rocks, and it is, it is a tough climb. Um, and so y- you do that for probably the first couple miles out of the May Queen Aid Station, pop out onto that road, um, and the road's pretty pretty gentle um it's it's still uphill for sure um but not crazy um and so you know we popped out of the colorado trail and immediately start up the start up that road um and then like chief said you you turn right before you go under the power lines you turn and get on um some some you know single lane jeep road type terrain uh, that winds you up for another couple miles, um, and it is—it's um, not—it's it, certainly not as steep as Hope, um, but it is solid uphill for the entire probably five miles out of May Queen, um, and so it is relentless, and it's just kind of one of those get fall into a steady hiking pace. Um, put your head down and, and in, in two hours or so you'll be at the top. Yeah, I think for me this section, um, relentless is a great word because it's just a steady climb and I think what I want to remember is when you hop out on that road, let's not get too excited about how beautiful it is looking back at Turquoise Lake and the sun coming up and man you're doing Leadville. Let's not forget that we're not at the top yet. It's a steady climb on that road, and then there's still some significant climbing until you're at the top of Powerline. Yeah, one one thing I'd say is if if you didn't put on sunscreen at the beginning of the race, you better hit it at May Queen Aid Station because when you come out of the Colorado Trail, the top part of that Sugarloaf climb, you're pretty exposed. You're in the sun. There's you're not in the shade, um, and so you know for people that have sunscreen <coughs> concerns that's going to be a good time to make sure you have it on. Yeah, I would say, you know, you're exposed all the way to the next aid station. Even going down the next, you know, four-mile section we'll get to, I think that's exposed also. What's your guys' kind of game plan for pace on that climb section for out of May Queen to the top of Sugarloaf? Do you have an idea yet? No, I really don't. I'm on, on the climbing sections of this course, honestly, um, my pace is going to be whatever the pace is. I'm going to do it more kind of based on my exertion level um, than I am pace. Kind because, of how you're feeling then. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, um, you know, it, it's so hard because even in the middle of these climbs, it's, it's different, right? It may be steeper at the bottom. It may be steeper at the top. It's going to impact your pace, and so I don't um, just strategically. I don't want to go. Hey, I want to be at 20 minutes a mile on this because you know the first mile and the third mile may be totally different miles, um, and I do not want to blow myself up. You know, at mile 20 of this race, trying to maintain a 20-minute pace hiking up Sugarloaf when I probably should have slowed it down to 23, and it would have made no difference at all in a 30-hour race, but it makes a huge difference in the way my body feels. 
Yeah, I think um, so. My approach for this this section in particular to get to the top of power line, I I want to be moving steady, but I do not want to feel like I am redlining it because there's a there's a very runnable downhill and then a very runnable flat section after this where where I want my body to be able to run for a long time after this climb. And so I, I will not be redlining it and I will be moving steady and paying attention and trying to hydrate to get to the top of that climb to where I can run the downhill and then continue to the next aid station and even after running. And so this is not a section for me that I want to overexert myself at all. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same mentality of listening to my body. I have the game plan, but you know what, what, what's going on that day is more important. I really have just kind of laid out a pace chart, and based on what we were doing, I didn't feel like we were overexerting ourselves during that day, and we were under 20 minutes. And so for my pace chart for these five miles, if I can stay under 20 minutes a mile, um, that's going to be good for me. But at the same time, I'm not. it's not set in stone. So if I'm not making it, it's not the end of the world. You've got plenty of time. There's plenty of course left to make up any miles or time that you have on your pace chart. Well, that's what, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is, the total climb is four to five miles. And so, you know, if you do four to five miles at 22 minutes versus 20 minutes, um, it's 10 minutes right. in a 30-hour race. Um, and, and after you complete this section, you're basically in a part of the course where you're running 90% of it all the way to Twin Lakes, um, assuming you can. And I think it's more important that you can run the majority of this next part of the race for cutoff purposes. I think it's more important to be able to run those um, than it is to, you know, stay under a certain pace for these climbs. Um, because it's just such a bigger chunk of the course, I think the overall time savings is not worth it if you're having to work too hard getting up these climbs. Yeah, the uh, the mental expenditure is very different too. You know, if you are climbing, you know you're climbing, you know your pace is slower, uh, and so it, it's a little easier to tolerate that and not worry so much. Whereas when you get on a runnable section and you know it's runnable and you can't run it. The, the mental um, beatdown that you take at that point is much more detrimental for me. And so I, I definitely want to be running the runnable sections. And then once we're hiking uphill, it's hiking uphill. Let's stay steady and get to the top. No, that's a good point. Because when you can run, you need to be able to run this course. And you have to run this course. If you're not running the runnable sections, I don't know. If at you're, least on the way out. On the way out, right. You got, you know, you need to bank that time as much as you can, especially right before Twin Lakes. And so, um, yeah, if you like, like you, like these guys are saying, hike what you can, but you know, save your legs because you need to be able to run outbound uh, as much as the runnable part as you can. This is I also coming up this uh, hike. I filled up bottles in a few. There, there were some running small streams on the top of this. Um, climb. I don't know if they're reliable for August, right? I mean, these yeah. weren't like big rivers coming down the mountain. These were kind of <laughs> running small streams on the side of the trail. 
Um, and so I'm, I've got a little bit of concern whether those are going to be there or not in August because I filled up bottles a couple times coming up this thing. Um, and part of that was because it was so exposed, it felt really hot coming up this climb. Um, and so, you know, some of it was I wanted that cold mountain water to really just kind of pour on myself um, as much as it was to drink. I don't know that I don't feel like I was out completely of my bladder in two bottles, but um, I do know that I stopped and filled up a couple times. Um, Even that stream along the side of the road, that's probably not there in August. And I used it a couple of times just to put my hat in to get some cool water on right. myself. And that you know if that's not there and you're exposed i i do believe this is an area where all of a sudden you could say wow it is hot the sun is out like that that little stream right along the side of the road was a a lifesaver for me and i'm i'm not sure that will be there yeah disclaimer if you're not if you're kind of not understanding what jared and jeff are saying they basically said, well, Bear Grill says as long as the water's running, it's safe. <laughs> so they were drinking from the streams, and I didn't drink from the streams um, just to see if there was anything about making it. And they didn't get sick. Uh, I'm not saying do drink from the streams, but we tested it out. They seemed to be okay. You know, mountain water was good for you. I mean, it's basically snow runoff is what it is, is what they were drinking out of. So so far, so good. And then my wife ran across those uh, filters that are like little things, and I was like, did you get those? Jared, I thought you sent that picture. And I was like, we need those for sure. And she's talking to me later about it. I'm like, how do you know about those? And she's like, I'm the one that sent those. I was like, did you buy them? No. Like, uh, I'm not even going to worry about it. There's honestly. $2 I'm, down the drain. I'm going to refill. I know on Hope Pass, I'm using that stream. Like, oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I'm not going to And look, if I get sick, <laughs> I get sick. But I'm taking that risk. So... Anything else to add? Nope. All right. All right. Hey, guys. Um, we are done with the first day of the Leadville 100 course preview. Um, we've got two sections that we finished um, later in the afternoon that uh, we did not stop and, and kind of uh, review on the spot, so we wanted to do that now. The first one being um, after the Sugarloaf climb down the backside of Powerline. And what you what you hear about that, usually you hear about the climb up power line on the way in and how steep it is. Um, obviously, you run down it and it's just as steep that way, too. Um, and so I think the takeaway for us was we've heard a lot of people say kind of let gravity do the work. Don't try to hold it up too much. Um, and, and I think that's 100 percent true. Although I will tell you, there are some parts that are steep enough that I felt on the line of being out of control and, and potentially, you know, gonna gonna hurt myself. Yeah, I wanted gravity to do the work, but some of those sections are so steep. If you did that, you're gonna end up on your face, <laughs> especially on the very, very tail end of that coming off Sugarloaf on the very tail end of power line. It gets really steep right before you hit the pavement. And so that's probably maybe a mile. Yeah. And we, we were really clipping along about nine, eight thirty, nine minute miles. So you can make up a little bit of time. So, you know, hike, but hike conservative going up Sugarloaf because you can come off the backside and do eight thirty nine minute miles. But there's some sections there. It is some quad killers. You're going to get your quad smashed. So you need to be right now hiking, uh, 
down if you can get those quads built up because that's going to be a long race at mile thir- at mile shoot 23 if your quads are already smashed. Yeah, and it is right that once you come off the Sugarloaf climb, it truly is basically entirely downhill for the next five miles till you roll into the next aid station. Yeah. Um, and so you can count on that and and focus on that while you're making that Sugarloaf climb because it lasts forever. Um, but just know once you once you get underneath those power lines and start down uh, the backside, it really is downhill basically to the next aid station. Yeah, I think, you know, trying to uh, keep your heart rate out of the red zone when you're climbing, I had almost as much difficulty controlling my heart rate going down. And I think it's a fine line on the speed and how you handle gravity, whether you are being efficient versus whether you're being dangerous. And it almost takes as much toll on your legs when you're trying to slow yourself down and fight gravity. So that that's a learning thing for sure. And honestly, we don't have we don't have mountains like that at home to go downhill no for so long. Not for that long, right? No. You have short hills where you can sort of let gravity happen, but you don't get going so fast that you feel out of control because it levels out pretty quickly. This is there are some sections where you know you're running downhill for a mile at a time, and so um, I, I mean I think as much as you can let it go and, and, and get some fast miles in right there and let gravity do a lot of that work. But I mean, you're going to have to pull it back a few times, uh, just to, just to stay safe on it. hundred percent. Yeah. Short choppy steps really helped me today. Trying to zigzag on the trail a little bit, cut off a little bit of that downhill helped a little bit too. But I mean, I'm telling you, buckle up cause it, it don't, it don't matter what you do. You're really got to teeter it on the edge there. And it's going to, again, a long race if you're going to go eat face first into the dirt, mile 23. That's right. Yeah, I listened to a guy talk about some downhill running and how to control your balance. And he said, you're trying to lift your shoulders up and keep your feet underneath you. So you want to look further out ahead than you think instead of just face down and shoulders down. And I tried that today. And honestly, that gave me a little better perspective and I, I was amazed at how your foot placement is still okay with your your eyes still screening. Yeah, it's and a great idea to clip that first rock yeah. when you're you know yeah. running a seven minute mile and you go, oh boy, oh boy, that um, just took me out. You're rolling down the windows, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the that's the power line section that takes you down into the aid station at about mile 23, 24, mm-hmm. um, and then we will check in and pick up on the next section that we did today uh, to bring us up to about 30 miles. All right, we are finally to the first speed section of the Leadville 100. And when I say speed section, I mean uh, the downhill running that evidently I'm going to need a little more practice at to be efficient. But this was the first experience of, hey, we are headed downhill for a long time and we are on some potentially runnable terrain, although... um, runnable under control and so i would say my takeaway from this this point was for sure like let's be in control but let's get the pace up a little bit as we go downhill and take a little bit of advantage of the first downhill section with some speed yeah i felt like this section got steeper as you got um, as you got further down the mountain Um, and so when you get to the top of sugarloaf it sort of flattens out a little bit um, and so I'm thinking strategically, 
you know, once I get to the top of the Sugarloaf climb, I think you can kind of recover while you, while you get running a little bit, um, at a pretty decent pace before you get into the real heavy downhill, which, um, at that point is, you know, it, it's going to occupy your attention. And, uh, if you're not comfortable running downhill, this is going to challenge you, um, because it is very, very steep and it is very difficult to control your pace. Um, and then just to, you know, add a little insult to injury, there's random rocks and, uh, boulders and things like that. So it is, um, you gotta be fully engaged in this thing. Um, and, and paying a lot of attention because it is, a it's a tough part. Um, it's a really tough part. For your foot, foot placement, it will be key coming off the sugar loaf for the next, you know, mile, two miles. You're going to be running fast, but you're going to be running. Not, it's not too wild downhill. There's some washouts. There's some rocks. There's some roots you need to pay attention to. But that last mile or so coming off, when you kind of going down, you can see the pavement coming into that um, first outward bound aid station. It's just, from what we read, course preview said, let gravity do the work, let go, just run it. I don't know how the heck you're going to run down that thing. You know, it's it was pretty steep. In fact, it like... So you're running, 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 and then you're out of control, and then you're slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. That's what I kind of kept feeling like we were doing over and over again, and I'm just really concerned about the quads at that point. Yeah, that's a you know that's a good point, Chief. At the beginning of the descent down power line, it's kind of winding around, right? You're coming around turns, and so it's got a little bit of a switchback feel, although you know they're not tight switchbacks. Um, at the end of the power line descent you're standing at the top looking down and it's a straight down to the bottom. Um, and that part I think is where I felt like it was certainly the steepest, um, and where you were really sort of teetering on the edge of, um, you know, getting out of control, swinging your arms and face planting. Um, and so, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, if, if you are not practicing running downhill, and when I say downhill, I mean like, you know, basically running off a cliff. You better start practicing that now um, because you got to do it for long portions of this race and it can really eat your legs up real quick. Um, and so that's that's one thing I think training-wise, pay attention to. Yeah, I think uh, the other thought for me is, you know, I really want to take advantage of the previous section uphill to eat and drink so that I am fueled at the top and maybe lighter in my load so that I can run this downhill because you're running downhill into the next aid station. So if I don't have, you know, my reservoir bladder sloshing around and my two, you know, flasks up front pulling me downhill and I've got that fuel inside already, I do not have to worry about that for this downhill section. And I, I think I'm going to try to pay attention to having that done when I get to the top. Um, so that I can kind of focus on one thing, and that's running downhill and getting into the next aid station. Because you'll come off a sugar loaf, like like Jared had mentioned during the recording. It's probably I don't know what you four miles of downhill running off a sugar loaf ish, and then you're going to hit that pavement section. And some of the course preview stuff we had read, they talk about fish hatchery, and we're thinking, okay, fish hatchery. Well, it's now changed to outward bound, and outward bound was another half mile down the road. There's like a, it says Outward Bound School or something. It's a, it's private land, but during the race, they let you on it. Um, so 
if you're reading saying you're going to stop a fish hatchery, which there is an outhouse of fish hatchery, just heads up if you're needing to use the bathroom, if, if you need it now and can't wait a half a mile, um, you'll see the fish hatchery and you know you're getting really darn close and you're just going to keep running just a little bit slightly downhill, uh, all on pavement at this point, right into that first outward bound uh, aid station. Yeah, I think this is another good um, time once you get down off of the power line descent um, and hit that pavement. Um, you know, you're, there's probably maybe a mile, mm -hmm. I would say, to the next aid station. Another good time to make sure you're emptying out your bottles, emptying out the nutrition you were supposed to have in the last section. Um, because once you hit that, you know you're coming up on the next aid station. It's kind of an easy, um, gentle run probably down into the next aid station. And if you've been doing the math, this is aid station number two at mile 23. So that's, I mean, these are the two longest aid station sections that you're going to have. You're going to see a lot more aid stations after this, uh, but be aware that, I mean, I mean, shoot, it's almost a marathon and you've only hit the second aid station. So you need to be able to pack a lot of calories on you and take in a lot. Um, have you guys given any thought about how long you want to spend at this aid station? I still, I'm still in and out on these aid stations. Yep, I mean, me I'm too. Listen, I'm in and out until Twin Lakes, and based on how I'm doing pace-wise, I'll decide how long I'm going to take at Twin Lakes. I mean, that's my plan at least. Um, obviously, plan to have the plan change, but um, but I do not plan on hanging out in an aid station until hopefully Twin Lakes inbound at mile 60, where I can relax and say, okay, I'm ahead of schedule let me regroup that's weird it's funny we all have we hadn't even talked about this yet we all have the same game plan i'm i'm in and out of this sucker minute and a half two minutes i don't want to hang around again um because you got another aid station coming up at half pipe and then you got another one at twin lakes and so you got a couple coming up and you don't need to really be hanging out unless you need to change your socks or do something grab some food refill have your crew refill your waters for you and and just keep walking my plan is just to kind of keep moving forward just keep going and then get my pack at the end and eat as much as I can eat and just keep moving uh, through that meadow into the half pipe trail. Yeah, that's a good plan. I, I think so far the first two aid stations, uh, nothing but um, refilling and refueling and going. So, uh, you guys have anything else to add? This will be the, uh, we've just previewed the uh, first five sections of the course that we ran that time. But Seems like a manageable course so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, for part two of the episode, we'll get into from half pipe to Winfield at this point. From outward bound to Winfield. I'm, I'm sorry, outward bound to Winfield. Um, you'll hear us going into half pipe, into Twin Lakes, uh, Hope Pass we recorded there, and then we recorded into Winfield, right? So, yeah, that'll be the part two of our episode. Um, you can catch me at... Savage Navy Chief, uh, Iron Man Lawyer, Jeff Boyer 75, and the 3OK Runners uh, Instagram, and we also have the email uh, at Gmail. So I appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, see you then. <laughs>